Day one, Alexander Mitchell begins to feel flu-like symptoms of nausea and chest pains. Day three, Alexander's condition is rapidly deteriorating. Doctors have placed him on two aggressive light support systems, including ECMO, a heart-lung bypass machine that oxygenates and removes CO2 from the patient's lungs when the damage to respiration is so great that lungs are not even functioning. Doctors begin to locate abnormal cell growth in Alexander's lungs. Day five, Alexander's parents say their goodbyes as Alexander's condition continues to deteriorate. Day 10, Alexander's lungs begin healing after accounts suggested that his only hope was transplantation. Eventually, Alexander will return home. Although his lung capacity is permanently damaged, he has escaped with his life. But what caused this 20-year-old hiking enthusiast to have almost complete and permanent lung failure within days of having symptoms? According to Alexander's doctors, the smoking alternative that is widely marketed as a safer alternative was, in fact, the culprit. Inhalation of these fine, heavy metal particles and toxic products has impacted more lives than Alexander's, and not every victim of vaping escapes with their life. <clears throat> so, Sarah, how many people does this actually happen to? Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah Pinnebaker. Hey, guys. I'm Maggie Nugent. And you are listening to Good Intentions, a podcast that examines how some of the major issues of today stemmed from the best of intentions. In this episode, we'll dive into the origins of the e-cigarette market to determine how the intent to stop smoking has created an entirely new hazard to health that poses an even greater threat to youth than cigarettes were to past generations. How much should this actually concern us? Is this threat being thrown massively out of proportion? Or... Could it be a threat to our youth even greater than that faced from cigarettes in the 60s? Stay tuned to find out. But first, let's take a brief look at the history of e-cigarettes. Created in 2003, the first modern e-cigarette was developed by Han Lick, a Chinese pharmacist that lost his father due to smoking-induced lung cancer. His design included a battery, an ultrasonic atomizer, and nicotine cartridges in an effort to remove the cancer-causing tar in cigarettes while still providing users with vaporized nicotine. The first vapes were designed to be disposable and to resemble the traditional cigarettes that they hoped would help people stop smoking. Soon afterward, second-generation e-cigarettes with rechargeable batteries, user-filled tanks, and operating systems entered the markets, creating a niche of vaping hobbyists who inspired the third generation of completely customizable vapes that no longer resemble their cigarette predecessors. Introduced into US and European markets in 2006, the e-cigarette market has grown at a substantial rate, especially in the last 10 years. The number of worldwide vapors has risen from about 7 million in 2011 to over 41 million in 2018, and the market research group Euromonitor expects that number to reach 55 million by 2021. With this rise in vaping, the global e-cigarette market is estimated to be worth $19.3 billion. So vaping has been spreading among populations across the world, but how did vaping popularity spread so rapidly when it was first introduced as a way to quit smoking cigarettes? While e-cigarettes were invented to help adults break the addictive habit of smoking, by 2016 the industry began aggressively targeting youth populations. Companies offered high school senior scholarships, organized different music festivals, spent millions of dollars on social media marketing, and began to sell highly appealing flavors in their e-cigarettes. One company in particular that was guilty of this was Juul, the now leading seller of e-cigarettes in the United States, whose discreet and portable devices look almost like a flash drive. 
Juul was the first company in this industry to rely on social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube that appeal to a majorly youth population as their main marketing platform and greatest marketing expense. More recently, Juul has faced enforcement actions from the FDA for intentionally targeting youth through advertisements, trendy designs, youth-friendly flavors, and the discrete profiles of their Juuls. Beyond the health impacts of vaping itself, the consensus by researchers at Yale is that vape devices have not been proven to help adult smokers quit smoking, but rather, vaping increases the risk a teen will smoke regular cigarettes later. On top of health concerns associated with vaping, this means that the original intention of Han Lick to stop the use of cigarettes has been completely negated. Vaping increases the number of individuals who use cigarettes, but how many individuals does this actually affect? Well, a 2019 study by the New England Journal of Medicine found that 9% of 8th graders, 20% of 10th graders, and 25% of 12th graders have reported vaping within the last 30 days. And those numbers have risen substantially from 2017, when data showed only 4% of 8th graders, 8% of 10th graders, and 11% of 12th graders had vaped within the last 30 days. As for Juuls, they comprise of 68% of all e-cigarette sales in 2018, and had 8% of Americans from 15 to 24 years old using their product monthly in 2017. How is this not illegal? Well, strictly speaking, it is illegal for e-cigarette companies to aggressively target e-cigarette advertisements towards youth. However, there are few federal restrictions on e-cigarettes, and many companies can find loopholes in laws pertaining to cigarettes since their products don't contain tobacco. Some states, like Michigan, have put in place laws to prevent advertising of vapes as a safe smoking alternative, in addition to completely banning all e-cigarettes products containing characterizing flavors other than nicotine. No wintergreen, no cotton candy, no chocolate, vanilla, or any kind of flavor related to food or drink. In early October, two Georgia lawmakers announced their intention to introduce a bill that would crack down on vaping, either by banning the sale of flavored tobacco vaping products or restricting advertising targeted at children. Until now, efforts in Georgia schools to reduce vaping, such as random searches, vape detection sensors, peer-driven PSAs, and increased punishment have not been entirely successful. Georgia Department of Education data from the 2017-2018 school year shows that statewide vaping by students as young as sixth grade increased dramatically over the previous year, while cigarette use increased by about a third. So with the known addictions and negative health effects, what makes youth want to vape? One of our teammates, Andrew Allen, talked to two Georgia Tech students, Bryce Mathis and Jeremiah Russell, to get an idea. For Jeremiah, it was a couple of factors. How did you start vaping? Uh, one of my friends wanted me to take him to a vape shop, and I was like, that's cool. And he was like, I'm going to get a jewel. And I was like, OK, I'll get one too. So right. that's how I started. But for Bryce, it was a short answer. And why do you still vape, like, currently? Because I'm addicted to it. When asked whether they had experienced any health effects or negative consequences, Bryce mentioned a couple of experiences. What are the changes that have occurred in your life since you started vaping? You can talk about the positive or the negative. The only negative thing that's happened so far is that, like, at one point I had a vape that was menthol-based, or a vape flavor that was menthol-based, and it really fucked up my lungs but I stopped using it and then my lungs went back to normal, so I just switched juices and kept going. To conclude each interview, we asked Bryce and Jeremiah if they had any advice about vaping. Jeremiah's was not a positive reply. 
Is there anything else you'd like to tell us or let us know about your experiences vaping or anything that we should include in our podcast? I think maybe you should focus on concrete health effects and not tie like negative connotations to like vaping itself. Using emotional cues to make decisions about vaping doesn't really help anyone. Bryce felt very strongly about his message. I wouldn't start it if you haven't started it yet. I would just stay away from it because it's really hard to quit. As Bryce mentioned, addiction to nicotine in e-cigarettes is one of the many health concerns that individuals face while vaping. While these numbers are startling, what are the actual health effects of vaping? To find out, we sat down with a credentialed expert in this field, Dr. Benjamin Holden, Senior Director of Stamps Health Services. So I guess first, Dr. Holden, what is your specific role at Tech? In my role here at Tech, uh, I'm the Senior Director of Stamps Health Services. Can you talk a little bit about the health concerns associated with vaping and concerns students might have? So one important thing to know is that we don't know a lot about the long-term effects of vaping. It hasn't been around for a long time, so we don't know how it's going to play out over time. There's a lot that's unknown. What we do know is that most vaping products contain nicotine. We know that can have a deleterious effect on adolescent brains, which you guys, even though you don't want to think of yourselves as adolescent still, you're in that category. The outbreak of lung disease that's being tracked by the CDC related to vaping, they haven't determined the exact cause, but there does seem to be an association with um, those vaping products that contain THC. The targeting of youth and rise of health concerns around e-cigarettes that we see today is a mirrorment of what happened with traditional cigarettes in the 60s and 70s. During this time, the University of Michigan started a study on adolescent drug use, which found that 28.8% of high school seniors smoked cigarettes daily in 1976 and 1977. Compounding this issue of youth smoking was the fact that tobacco companies were openly targeting young people to become new smokers through icons like Marlboro Cowboy, which a competitor dubbed the greatest appeal to kids, the gnarled, weather-beaten cowboys, the hottest virility, sexual symbol going. Uncompanying this fact was that John Partridge, chairman of the Tobacco Manufacturing Standing Company, openly said in an interview with BBC that tobacco companies were prepared to go on advertising their products to young people as long as they were not children. And similar to e-cigarette companies today with their appealing flavored vape juices, tobacco companies would introduce new types of cigarettes to target youth subgroups. An example of this is the Virginia Slims, which was a cigarette targeted exclusively at women with the slogan, you have come a long way, baby. These direct efforts led to the doubling of the amount of teenage women who smoke within six years of their first introduction, just like the increases we're seeing in cigarette use among youth today. This increase in e-cigarette use in the United States, especially the increase in youth among youths, is something that should concern everyone. While the vaping industry may have initially had good intentions, since then vaping and the health risks that come along with it has grown to be as dangerous and concerning an industry as the tobacco industry was decades ago. What we are seeing today in the e-cigarette industry is a recirculation of what happened in the tobacco industry 50 years ago, not a massively out of proportion threat. Who must be held accountable for these health effects? Is it youth like Alex? Is it the doctors who treat them? Or rather, is it the manufacturers of illness and addiction, companies like Juul, Fuse, Altria, who should be held responsible? I'm Sarah Pennebaker. And I'm Maggie Nugent. And this was Good Intentions. Tune in next week for another podcast that examines how some of the major issues of today, 
stemmed from the best of intentions.